going to be in Proverbs 4 today. So if you've got your Bibles, if you were here last week for Doug's message, probably all of us brought our Bibles this week. Or if you're just watching up on the screen, you're on your phone, you have the, the, the notes texted in, whichever way you're doing it. We're going to be in Proverbs 4. Um, but before we jump in, I kind of just want to give a little background and context um, and paint a picture on where we are. So we know that, that Proverbs, the author was Solomon. Um, some people would say that kind of towards the back end of the book, there's a couple other authors. But what we're reading today, the author was a guy named Solomon. Um, and what we know about Solomon was he was the wisest man that has ever lived. And what's cool about that is that's not self-proclaimed. So Solomon didn't say, hey, guys, look at me. I'm the wisest guy. It wasn't even his peers that were putting that on him. It was God himself that said that he was the wisest man ever. So we look in scripture, and basically so what we find is, is Solomon was, was a young man, and he was about to become king of Israel. And he was extremely humble, and he went to God, and he basically said, listen, God, I'm about to be leader over a ton of people, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Would you please bless me and just give me a wise and discerning heart so that I could lead your people well? And then scripture says that God was pleased with this request. He said, Solomon, since you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for long life, you didn't wish for death on your enemies, so not only am I going to grant you your, 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 your prayer of a wise and discerning heart, I'm going to make you the wisest man that has ever lived and that will ever, ever live. And I think that's important because when we start to read Proverbs, we know that there's reliability and validity behind the words that were written in this book because they're inspired by God through Solomon speaking to us, right? Because God said and God made Solomon the wisest man on earth. In this book of Proverbs, it's known as a book of wisdom. There's a handful of books that were known as books of wisdom in the Old Testament. Uh, and Solomon wrote a few of them. So he wrote Song of Songs. He wrote Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. Um, and so as we're diving into these, I really want to think about the word wisdom. It's a book of wisdom. It's written by the wisest guy ever. And I think we all probably have a really good understanding of, of what wisdom is. But a lot of times, for me at least, I, I, I talk on wisdom uh, intelligence, smarts, as, as kind of synonymous and knowledge, but they're not synonymous. There's a very distinct and important difference between wisdom and between knowledge. And an example of that, so knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Did y'all know that? A tomato is actually a fruit? I just blew some of y'all's minds right now. If you did not know a tomato was a fruit, you are dismissed. You have learned enough today. Y'all could, could go get brunch. So a tomato is actually a fruit. So by definition, it has seeds on the inside of the food. Therefore, it is a fruit. Okay? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put that fruit in a fruit salad and bring it to a party because you will never be invited back to that party. So there's a difference. I can know something, but if I don't apply it, then it's not wisdom. And so if we were to be reading the, 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 the Old Testament in the original Hebrew, we would find that this, with, this word wisdom, it's, it's uh, pronounced chokmah, and you can kind of see how it's written up there. And basically all that's telling us, it is, it's applied knowledge. And when we see it in the Old Testament, time and time again, it's not only talking about people's intelligence, it's talking about people that are really skilled at their craft, See, throughout the Old Testament, we see people asking for, for, for workers and craftsmen and artists that are really high in chokmah, 
I'm looking for, for a craftsman that has a lot of wisdom. And so it's basically saying, I'm not just looking for someone that knows a lot. I'm looking for someone that can put that into practice in their everyday life. And, they, and I can see it in their work. And why that's important is when we start diving into, into Proverbs, and today Proverbs 4, what's written in this book is not supposed to stay here. It's not supposed to stay here. It's supposed to be applied to our lives. And so as we go over all this this morning, I want us to have the lens of knowing that everything written in this book is relevant today. Everything that we read today can be, right when we walk out these doors, can be applied to our lives. So I want to look at that through the lens, that lens today. So long intro, but now we're going to dive into Proverbs 4. We're going to be starting in verse 23. Okay, and it says this. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thoughts to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. And so we're going to break down this passage, but I really want to, to, to zoom in on that first verse because I think it should stand out at us because the wisest man in the world is speaking in absolutes. Above all else, guard your heart because everything that you do flows from it. And I think if we can understand what Solomon is telling us by guarding our heart, the rest of the passage makes even more sense and is even more cut and dry than it already is. And so as we're breaking this down, guarding my heart, well, what, what does that look like? What does it mean? There's a lot of different things and schools of thought there. First, I think we need to understand what he's talking about, the heart. I need to know what I'm guarding. And so throughout history, we know that, that, that the understanding of what the heart is um, has continued to evolve and continues to evolve. Uh, we're finding new things out about the body every day, and it's absolutely incredible. But what's cool is back then, so when Solomon was writing Proverbs, they had the same understanding of the heart in the sense of they knew it was a central organ inside the body that sustained life. It pumped blood to the whole body. Okay? There's even reference to a heart attack in the Old Testament. So it's pretty cool. They, they really had the understanding that we do now. But they also thought that the heart was, was responsible for all, all life, all thoughts, all knowledge, all wisdom and feelings and emotions and decisions, that the heart was responsible for all that. There's not much reference to the brain or the mind in the Old Testament. They accredited that to the heart. And a lot of times even today, we still accredit those things to the heart. You might have a heavy heart, a broken heart, a full heart, a good heart. So we say those things. We know that it comes from the mind, but back then, they truly believed that those things were coming from their heart. And so when we look through guarding our heart, we need to take the lens of knowing that it's everything that's, that's happening internal, all my internal processes that's going on, that's my heart, right? And so when I see my heart and I think about those things, well, how do I guard that? Those aren't tangible things. How do I guard a thought or guard a feeling or guard a decision? It's not, it's not guarding in, in the physical sense of, hey, guard your heart, put on a bulletproof vest so you don't get shot or stabbed or something like that. That's important too, but that's not what Solomon's talking about here. So he's talking about guarding our heart really in, in two different ways. And when he's talking about guarding our heart, number one is we are keeping certain things out. Number two, keeping certain things in. 
okay? I am keeping things out that if I allowed into my heart would be dangerous to me. At the same time, I'm keeping certain things inside and protecting and guarding things that are good for me. That's what guarding my heart looks like. And as Christians, what that practically looks like for us, I think is is we're keeping close. We are protecting. We are keeping tight the word of God in our hearts, his truths and his promises and who God says we are. We're keeping close a community of of believers and a a, a fellowship of of, of Christians that are speaking life and truth and love into our lives. I'm keeping close my relationship and my walk with God. I am protecting that with everything that I've got. And at the same time, I'm keeping out the voice of of the world and of Satan and who they say who I am and what they say I should be doing. Every every thought and perspective and, and, and belief and pursuit that doesn't line up with the word of God and doesn't line up with his character has to be kept out at all cost. It has to be guarded against. And if you're wondering, well, how do I know the difference? How do I know, how do I know what, what, what God's vision of me is? How do I know what his truths and his promises are? How do I know what the lies are? It's right here. It's in our Bibles. And that could be a whole other sermon inside of itself. I think Doug last week did an incredible job of talking about the importance of picking this book up and reading it. Because that is, that's our ammunition against Satan and his attacks. And so if that is what I'm guarding, and that's how I'm guarding it, what's the the, the purpose of guarding? If this is just mental, if it's just things and feelings and emotions, and it's not making its way, it's not what's happening in my life, then what's the importance of having to guard this thing? Well, I think the rest of this text lays it out pretty cut and dry and black and white, and it tells us that it does overflow into our lives. See, what happens in our heart is a trickle-down effect of what happens in our life. So we're going to reread this passage and think about this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left, but keep your foot from evil. And so I think what that shows us is whether I'm guarded or unguarded, whether it's good or it's bad, everything is stemming from my heart. What happens from my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, makes its way to my speech. What I talk about and how I talk about it. That makes its way to my vision, my perspective, what I look for and what I see. And that ultimately makes its way to my action, the path from my feet, the trajectory of my life. See, even if my environment stays identical, exactly the same, if I have a guarded heart and an unguarded heart, my life is going to be completely different. See, the condition of your heart is a direct reflection of the condition of your life. And Proverbs, Proverbs 4 right now is telling us that. And so that progression from my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, from my heart to my speech, to my sight, to my actions, that's how God made us. And a quick example, let's say say you and your family, 
are, are in the market for a new vehicle, okay? Um, and you're trying to think which one's best. Okay, I'm thinking uh, what vehicle would be good. My family, we've got a growing family. We've got some kids, so I think we need to upgrade. Let's say I'm thinking an SUV, okay? I want to be the cool family. I don't want to go minivan route. Let's go SUV route, right? <laughs> no, 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 no knock against uh, minivans. I like the sliding door. It's cool. Um, so SUV, right? Now, I want to be sporty. My favorite color is red. So I'm thinking, okay, red SUV, right? Once I've thought about these things, now I start to talk about it. I got to talk to my spouse. I have to talk to friends and family, seeing their input. Hey, what do you think about these features? What do you think about the cost? What do you think about the, the miles per gallon? What do you think about the pros and cons? And you start talking about these things over and over and over again because you're trying to, to weigh out the pros and cons to see if this is uh, the right move, right? Once you talk about this for a while and you go drive around town the next week, what do you see a million of? Red SUVs. When did everyone and their mother buy a red SUV at the exact same time? The same amount of red SUVs have always been there, but your thoughts and your speech now dictated what you're looking for and what you see, right? And that is going to lead me to action. So either I see all these red SUVs and I say, wow, they're popular, it must be good, let me go shop for one, let me go buy one. Or I see them, they're too popular, it's too mainstream, let me go with the purple sports car, kids can hop in the trunk, right? Either way... <laughs> Either way, it's leading to an action, right? So we see that, 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 that progression unfold in our lives all the time, whether we realize it or not. Now, that's a, a, an innocent, harmless example, but we know that Satan is not as, as harmless and as innocent as that. See, 1 Peter 5 tells us this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, Satan's going to choose things that are, that are personal and that hit close to home to try and get into your hearts, our unguarded hearts. And maybe you're like me, and, and, and sometimes when, when I listen and I allow those lies and those distractions to get into my heart, it changes who I normally am. See, with an unguarded heart, I'm not the father, I'm not the husband, the son, the brother, the, the neighbor, the coworker. I'm not any of those things that I ought to be. And most importantly and tragically, I'm not the vessel for God that I ought to be. And I want to pause there because all of this, this proverb is very much seems like it's, it's, it's self-focused. And it is, but it cannot stop there. I'm not guarding my heart just so that I can have a better life. I'm guarding my heart so that I can be available to him to serve everyone else. I had a friend that called me while I was preparing for this message. And he didn't give me much context and he really didn't need to. But he said, Austin... It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he's 100% right. See, when my heart is unguarded, I am useless for the kingdom of God. I am so overwhelmed and distracted by the lies and attacks of the enemy that I don't even have the capacity to think outside of myself. See, Satan knows that he cannot defeat those of us that are in Christ because Jesus has already sealed for us the ultimate victory of eternal life, 
But since he can't defeat us, his job is to distract us from everything that God has for us on this side of eternity. The good news is we do not have to accept that. Because 2 Timothy says this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then 2 Corinthians 10 follows up and says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, a guarded heart recognizes the lies and realizes the power that we have through the Spirit to combat the enemy's lies and distractions. As I was was preparing for this message and studying this proverb, I could not help but but connect the dots and see parallels between this and my job, what I do, uh, what I do for work. So I'm, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, and basically um, what that is is I work with a lot of athletes of, uh, of different ages and skill levels, um, and I help them with speed and agility and strength and power and all those types of things just to help them be better uh, at whatever sport they play. Okay? And if you've ever been um, in fitness, had a personal trainer, gone to the gym, you've probably heard a lot of things I'm going to talk about. But one of the, the primary fundamental things that I teach all of the athletes that I work with is the importance of strengthening and having control of their core, their abs, right? And we do a lot of exercises that train this in the gym. And what I try and tell them is if, if you don't have strength and control of your core first, You can't expect your arms and your legs, all your movements, to be without pain or dysfunction. So if you go out and try and be athletic and you haven't haven't controlled your core first, there will be pain or dysfunction in everything you're doing. And then when these athletes go out and they compete in their sport, there's a lot of things being thrown at them, right? Their opponents are, are trying to, you're trying to evade something or someone. You're chasing something or someone. You're jumping, cutting, twisting, turning, you're doing all the things. And if I don't have a strong and controlled core first, I'll be ineffective for my team. See, my effectiveness on the field or the court plummets, and my risk of injury skyrockets. I cannot be effective for my team. But when they've strengthened their core first, They become much more resilient to anything that the sport or their opponent is throwing at them. They now don't worry about injury. They worry about the task at hand because they've had a strong core. So y'all didn't know that the gym and sports could preach like that. This is doing my message for me. So guarding our hearts is the exact same way. See, today, more than any time in history, there's more being thrown at us that we're having to filter through and process than ever before. More information more news, more, more critiques, more praise, more everything than ever before. But when I take intentional time and practice to guard my heart, I become more resilient to the attacks of the enemy. I am now available to be used by God. I'm not worried about injury. I'm now worried about the task at hand, and that is to love and to serve like Jesus did. I can bring hope to dark situations. I can bring light. 
I can bring love and peace and joy, all the things that God is wanting us to guard inside of our hearts. We're protecting against everything else. And so I want to go in just to a couple of examples of, of kind of more of an everyday life type scenario of what guarding and, does, and unguarded hearts look like. And I have prayed that as I go into these examples, that the Spirit would speak to each and every one of us in specific areas of your life that God is trying to knock on the door and say, I need you to guard your heart here. I need you to guard your heart here. I'm going to be using the workplace as an example, and maybe it resonates with some of you. Maybe, maybe you need to take this and apply it to your marriage, finances, school, relationships, self-talk. I don't know what it is. But just be open for the Spirit to speak into whatever it is in your life today. So at work, there's undoubtedly going to be times that things happen that maybe I don't appreciate or, or I don't agree with, right? And, and a lot of thoughts and emotions and decisions come flooding in, right, my heart. And if I don't guard my heart, those things can easily turn into anger I can be upset, I can be bitter, I can feel taken advantage of or slighted. And as I start to feel those things, if I don't guard my heart against them, now it makes its way to my speech. I become extremely negative at work. I complain about everything that I can find. I talk badly about my coworkers, I talk badly about my boss, about my job. And the more and more I talk about these things, the more and more I'm going to start to look for and try and find anything that I can be negative and complain about because I'm trying to solidify what my emotions tell me. And as I start to look for and find these things, now my actions come into play. I'm now a terrible employee. I'm not a fun coworker to be around. I bring more problem than I bring solution. I'm a cancer to the team that I work for. I am not the hands and feet of Jesus. I am not showing people the character of our God. I become selfish and destructive because of my unguarded heart. Now, if we take that exact same scenario and we guard our heart, same things unfold at work that I don't agree with, I don't appreciate, but instead of allowing those thoughts and emotions to rule over me, I rule over them and I guard my heart. And instead of letting those things in, I say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to make sure I focus on the things that are already in my heart that should be there. I'm going to focus on joy and love and peace, gratitude, feeling blessed. And so I think about those things. And as I think about those things, now I start to talk about them a little bit more. I talk about how all these opportunities at work are a blessing. How I feel extremely grateful just to be able to have the ability to do what I do, work with who I work with. My speech to my athletes, clients, coworkers, anybody that you work with now becomes full of life and love and joy and you're sharing that with them. And as I talk about these things, now I start to look for and find even more things to be grateful for more things that I can look for and know that they're a blessing. And as I look for and find those things, now I solidify that attitude of being joyful. And I embody that attitude. And my actions reflect that. I'm now a joy to be around at work. I now bring solutions to problems. I can bring hope to uncertainty 
The people I work with don't mind talking with me and sharing a coffee with me. I show the world around me who God is. I am his hands and feet, and I spread his love to everyone around me. The exact same scenario, but two completely different outcomes because of a guarded and an unguarded heart. And we can find the exact same scenarios in Scripture. And I want to give us an example of a guarded and unguarded heart in Scripture. And we're going to use the life of David. I don't want to pick on him, so we're going to do one bad and one good for him. And if we know about David, a lot of us have probably studied a lot of the things that he's done. So David was uh, an incredible guy. He was a king of Israel. He wrote most of the Psalms. Um, he was actually Solomon's dad, which I think kind of plays into this. He was also known as a man after God's own heart. What a label. But he was also still just a man. He fell short often. So we read in 2 Samuel 11. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. Some of y'all know exactly where I'm going with this. But as I read these, I want to take the lens of Proverbs 4. Let's see how David didn't guard his heart here. So just to paint a picture, what we see here. So David is the king of Israel. Um, he's, he's overthrown a lot of nations. He's becoming extremely successful by the hand of God. And at this point in scripture, his army is about to go out and fight another battle, take over another nation. What scripture tells us is that David was supposed to be with his army at this point. He was supposed to be on the front lines with his men and joining them in this fight. But David chose not to. He chose to sit back, stay in Jerusalem, and hang out in his comfy palace. His army is gone, so he's got a lot of time to himself to think about all the great things that he's done, all the places and people that he's conquered. And I think that pride started to swell up in his heart. He started to be able to think about how great he is and all the things that he's done. And look at all this. It's mine. I'm the king of all of this. And we see that it manifested itself. One evening, he walked out onto his rooftop. And he's looking around. And he sees a woman. She's bathing. Just like now, she wasn't bathing with all her clothes on either, if you know what I'm saying. So David's looking around. He sees Bathsheba. Okay? And all of these, this, this, these thoughts of, of pride and of being better than and higher than and greater than, well, they started to manifest themselves. He started to, after he saw Bathsheba, he started to think, you know, if I want her, I can have her. I deserve her. I'm king after all, right? And so he allowed what, what he may have seen on accident turn into lust. He fixed his gaze on Bathsheba. And that what he saw, what he spoke on, turned into action when he told his servants, go get her for me. And they did just that. And David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And bad led to worse. Things started to spiral downhill. David had Bathsheba's husband killed to try and cover up what happened. Okay, and what we see, David allowed his thoughts and his feelings of pride dictate his speech of desiring and deserving Bathsheba. Then he al allowed that speech to turn into lust, and he fixed his eyes on her. 
And he allowed what he saw and fixed his eyes on turn into action. He committed adultery. So if we read the rest of the story, it leads to literal death and destruction. He had her husband killed. The son that Bathsheba bore David, God had him killed. He allowed his son to die. And David repented of all this, and he ended up having another son with Bathsheba. And you know who that was? Solomon. And so I could imagine that David trying to pass down and instill wisdom to his son about this tragedy with Bathsheba. Son, guard your heart. Guard your heart. You see where it goes. We're reading the end of Proverbs 4. If you look at the title of Proverbs 5 from Solomon, it's a warning against adultery. I don't think that's a coincidence. So we see that David's unguarded heart not only caused himself destruction and death and selfishness, but all of those around him as well. Bathsheba had to deal with that tragedy as well. So that's what an unguarded heart can do in our lives. Now let's rewind and look at David's life a little bit earlier on and see how he guarded his heart well. Because David was a warrior, a man after God's own heart. He did absolutely incredible things for God too. So in 1 Samuel 17, this is the story of David and Goliath. Okay, so most of us probably know what this story is about. But again, I want to take the lens of Proverbs 4 and seeing our heart and how this unfolds. See how David guarded his heart so well here. So the story goes, and, and the story of David and Goliath starts off with uh, a man named Samuel. He was a prophet. And God spoke to Samuel and said, hey, I need you to go to Jesse's house, which Jesse was David's dad. I need you to go to Jesse's house, and you're going to find the next king of Israel there. So Samuel's obedient. He went to the house, and he told Jesse, hey, um, I need to see your son. He's going to be the next king of Israel. Jesse's awesome. Come here, son. Come over here. Oldest son walks over. There he is, your next king. Samuel says, no, it's not him. So Jesse's like, okay, how about the next one? Come on over here. Samuel, no, it's not him. The next one, no, that's not him. So they go through the line of all of Jesse's sons, and Samuel's like, those aren't the ones. Do you have anybody else? And Jesse says, I mean, I have my youngest, but he's out in the field tending sheep. Samuel says, bring him in. So Samuel waited for David to come in from the fields, being obedient to what he was called to do. And when David walked in, Samuel said, that's him. See, Samuel passed down and instilled in David a vision that God had for him, a word that God had for him. And at this moment, David kept that in his heart. See, the scripture tells us that when Samuel anointed David, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. David didn't forget that. And soon after this epic event happened, Israel goes out to fight another battle against the Philistines. And you know who they left on the sidelines? David. David's older brothers went in to fight, but David was left tending sheep because they said he wasn't fit for battle, fit for duty. Okay? And David's right now at this moment starting to guard his heart. And at one point in the war, David's dad, Jesse, says, hey, David, um, I need you to go bring some food to your brothers. They've been, uh, they haven't really been fighting hard, but they've been up there in the front lines, and I need you to bring them some food. And so David does that. He brings them some food. And when he shows up to the front lines of the army, 
He felt God empowering him to take down what was standing in his nation's way, being Goliath, right? And as he goes around asking questions and, and he's starting to pursue the idea of what God has put in his heart, there's a lot of noise trying to attack his heart and distract him and discourage him, even from his brothers. So we see in scriptures, David's looking around trying to do these things and maybe take steps towards taking down Goliath. People are telling him he's not fit for duty. People are telling him he's better off tending sheep. Even his own brothers said that, David, you're only here with evil intentions. And David knew in his heart that none of those were true. And so he kept those out. He guarded against those things that would be bad and dangerous if he allowed them in. He kept close to his heart the promises and the truths that God has instilled in him. So he didn't allow the speech of others. Even, even Goliath, when he was walking forward, Goliath looked at him and said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Talk about an Old Testament burn. Goliath's trying to mess with David, and David's like, no, I'm not having that. I'm guarding my heart against that. And then his, his, his vision, David didn't allow himself to look to the left and to the right to see this fearful, paralyzed army that surrounded him. Day after day after day, this army was cowering in fear to Goliath, but David didn't allow that to deter him from what God was calling him to, what was in his heart. And as he was walking through to go, to go follow through on what God had called him to do, he didn't allow his vision to look at the giant in his way. He kept his eyes fixed directly before him. He kept his foot from evil. He didn't allow himself to look to the left or to the right. He kept his eyes fixed on the Lord and the promise that he had for him. And we know the end of the story that David defeated and killed Goliath. So not only did David just protect his heart from these things, he attacked the things that were trying to, go, to, to, to enter his heart and destroy and sabotage what God had for him. See, the rest of the stories we see is when David kills Goliath, the rest of the Philistine army turned around and ran away, and Israel overtook them. That's a picture of our guarded hearts and the power that we have through the Spirit of God. When I guard my heart, when you guard your heart, Darkness flees. Darkness flees at, the, at, at the, the glimpse of light. Satan flees at the name of Jesus. That's what a guarded heart can do. And now we know, looking at the rest of David's life, being Bathsheba, that this wasn't a battle that, that, that he fought one time and the rest of his life was smooth sailing. No, our lives are a war full of battles every single day fighting for your heart because that is the most valuable thing that we can offer. Satan knows it and God knows it. That whoever and whatever controls your heart controls your life. And it's not saying that we're turning a blind eye to, to darkness and negativity. Solomon knew that that surrounded us every day of our lives. So I said, don't look to the left and to the right. Be steadfast in all your ways. Don't let your foot go into evil. We're not discounting the bad things in our life. We're just not allowing them to dictate the path of our life. See, bad things, evil things are all around. And they can visit and we can deal with them, but they cannot have a home. 
They cannot dwell here. See, I, I know that if we look around every day, there's plenty of things that I could focus on that are negative and that I could complain about. But just as true, if I look, there's plenty of things that I can find that are good and true. See, God's goodness surrounds us all the days of our lives. He is not hard to find. Our job's not to ignore the bad things. It's to protect against them so that we can be available to be used by God. And as I close, I know this is not easy. Believe me. I struggle with it every single day. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to work Monday morning, and I'm going to have to be preaching to myself. Guard your heart, Austin. Guard your heart. But I know that there's grace and power sufficient for every single one of us as we refine this process of guarding our hearts. Guard your speech. Guard your eyes. Guard your path. And do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. And the good news, we're not called to do this alone. You're not called to do it under your own power. Paul tells us in Philippians an incredible passage that I think overlays this proverb perfectly. Something that we can meditate on and cling to. Practical steps on us guarding our heart. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, listen to this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Paul knew, yes, Paul knew that what we thought about turned into what we talked about. What we talked about turned into what we looked for and what we found, what we saw. Knew what we see turns into what we do, the path for our lives. So my call for us today is to practice this wisdom, apply this knowledge, fill our hearts and our minds with all of these good things that there's no room for the lies and the distractions from Satan. They cannot have a home here. Guard your hearts and watch your lives be surely changed for God and to be used by Him. Yes. Now, our, our altars are going to be wide open for you guys to come up and to pray. We're going to have people up here to pray with you. If you feel like your heart is being bombarded and you have not been able to guard it and you're overwhelmed, with lies and attacks and uncertainty and anxiety. All of the things. Come up here and pray and bring it to your God. By prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your requests known to our Father in heaven.
He wants to be here for you. He wants to help you guard your heart. To have peace that surpasses all understanding. We would love to pray with you, over you, agree with you in prayer. So our altars will be open. I'm going to pray for us, guys. God, we thank you for being a God of of always another chance, of waking up in the morning and having new mercies. We thank you for not holding our past against us, but encouraging us to look forward and to fix our gaze on you. God, I pray you strengthen us today like David against Goliath. Help us guard our hearts. Help us meditate on your truths and your promises and who you say we are. Let us believe those things and help us keep out the enemy's attacks, the world's voice, the lies and distractions, anything that doesn't line up with your character, God. Let us make it obedient to you. Lord, I pray for a fresh blessing over every single person here, a fresh experience with your spirit, the power that we possess. And I pray that as we walk out these doors that we can be a light for you with guarded and fortified hearts that we would be on mission to love and to serve like you did. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, for securing the ultimate eternal victory that we can hold to. We praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.